call to order. Roll call. Uh, uh, Lewis here. <laughs> Bowman here. Stork present. Sellergren present. Wagner. <laughs> Willow Reynolds present. Brown present. FYI, there's been a request to actually speak into the microphones. People have not been able to hear on the recording, so okay. please do so. Also, I'd like to point out the fact that we only have a quorum. If anyone has to leave at any time, we will have to stop the meeting, so we'll have to vote, so you need some warning, and if we have public waiting to speak, we cannot do that. Okay. Mm, all right. Um, Item C, public discussion of anything not on the agenda. If you flip your, the agenda over, you can grab the agendas at the front of the room if you'd like. Um, you can see what's under commission discussion. But if there are any other issues that any members of the public would like to discuss, now's the time. Doesn't seem like it. So we'll move on to item D, certi certificate of appropriateness for 1047 Woodlawn Avenue. Okay, 1047 Woodlawn Avenue is uh, here, as you can see. This is a Queen Anne house with some detailing that could be sort of Carpenter Gothic, could be a little bit um, reminiscent of Italianate. Uh, the house has been added on multiple times, including this 1984 edition on the back. Um, it has a really low um, gable roof, and all of this is a new addition. The project before you today is the deck. Uh, normally a deck can be reviewed by staff, but this one cannot follow the guidelines for a staff review, and so it comes before you. Um, just uh, this is the assessor kind of map of it and to show you this was the main block of the historic building uh, there was a second floor added here at some point in time maybe around 1915 there's a one-story addition here this is that gable roof addition as you can see it projects out with this screen porch beyond the side of the house and then there's the deck as well uh, the issue is that decks must be behind the house and set in from the sidewall of the building about eight inches, uh, which I would put that at this point, um, not where the screen porch is. And so for that reason, um, an exception to the guidelines will be required for approval. Here is kind of that side of the house. So you can see that here's probably around a 1915 second floor edition. And here is that 1984 edition sticking out beyond and the screen porch further out. Um, here's just from the other view. Um, the deck that exists um, did not have to go through approval process at all. Uh, it's just deteriorated. There's been some damage to this corner of the house. There was no ledger board flashing at all. And so there's just been some rot and damage. And so that was the um, impetus for this project. This is the plan of, um, so let's see, we're looking at the house is back here and the screen porch. So as you can see, the new deck will align with the side of the screen porch. Um, it will extend towards the sunroom that is over here. And uh, they will have a railing along this side. 
and they will have uh, railings at the stair. But otherwise, they're looking at steps walking up here, steps walking up here, and benches around this side with a future or, I guess, current drop-in hot tub. Um, and so there will only be the railing, the main railing is along this side. Here is the elevation view of the uh, project. So this is showing you that railing. Um, they're installing lattice with some um, posts between. Um, here is just looking at the back view of the house, showing the steps up, the bench, so there's no railing here. Um, the guidelines, we just added these since they're fairly simple for this project. Uh, locating the deck on the back, setting it eight, in eight inches, designing it so the size and scale, et cetera, don't detract, um, attaching in a manner to not damage the um, historic building. We're attaching to um, a modern addition, but at least this time it will be attached so it doesn't damage it and then following the section on um, balustrades and handrails. That section um, talks about uh, basically, you know, the square spindles would be at least an inch and a half in width. There would be a top and bottom rail, um, basic guidelines that we have. Uh, with this case, because uh, we can understand why they would want their deck to align with their screen porch, staff recommends approval through the use of an exception to the guidelines for the uncommon situation created by the existing rear addition to the house. Okay, do I have a motion? Wagner oh. moved to approve a certificate of appropriateness for the project at 1047 Woodlawn Avenue as presented in the application through the use of an exception to the guidelines for the uncommon situation created by the existing rear addition to the house. Reynolds seconds the motion. I didn't do a call for clarifying questions. Does anybody have any? Okay. Uh, I am curious yeah? when we have, so this is kind of a modern, this is a modern structure that's behind this old home. Mm -hmm. um, and in a situation like this, they're able to make repairs to that modern structure because it happened before uh, the historic commission was in place to look at these things, is that? Um, yeah, so generally this addition it, it can maintain this, you know, it has lap siding, it has trim, it has shingles, you know, it has modern windows, so we would not be, you know, looking at repairing those. But, you know, it has the same general basic things that we would have on a historic house. And so, yeah, we would continue to keep them as they are. Um, when I met on site, I was talking to them, uh, you know, about how they might be able to revise that addition to make it fit in better if they ever wanted to. So that's always the possibility. If they decide they would like to, you know, remodel that addition, then we'd look at, you know, maybe making it fit in better with the house somehow. But uh, yeah, otherwise it can stay like this forever. It is very specifically a postmodern addition. I mean, it has a style, which we don't often see with more modern additions, but this one is clearly a postmodern architecture. Okay, yeah, I was just curious because this, this is a very modern looking addition and we usually don't see things 
quite yeah. this modern. So. Yeah, it was 84. I mean, I don't know. It's right around when the commission started and mm -hmm. things. But no, it was not something reviewed. Okay. But the reason for the exception is still because of the new design. It is. Right. Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that it's from 84. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay, a motion's been made, so uh, is there a commission discussion? All right, uh, let us vote on the motion. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Great. Um, okay, I think <coughs> we will just move straight on to item E, um, report on certificates issued by chair and staff. Yeah, we can go through these pretty quickly. We had uh, several certificates of no material effect. And also just to remind you that since last month we had such a long discussion, some of these were just ones we didn't go over last month. Uh, 518 South Lucas Street was just um, replacing the concrete stairs in the yard, as was 314 South Governor, both owned by the same owner. Um, for minor review, staff review, um, on this project where we converted the garage to living space, they ended up um, determining that the rear door that we wanted to retain and the side window were both damaged beyond repair, and so they will be replaced. Uh, 521 South Governor Street had a couple projects, and uh, one of them was that they removed the vinyl siding and um, we uncovered some interesting details. Just to let you know, we could tell that there were brackets holding up a different kind of entry canopy, that this one is smaller than the one that was there before. We could see that there were shutters on the building as well. We think this was a colonial revival house that uh, was remodeled early in the 1900s. Uh, 707 Rundell Street um, is replacing the overhead door. Uh, 1328 Muscatine Avenue, it, I think they'll end up doing a several other projects as well, but this was just the replacement of the roof shingles. Um, 737 Grant Street is replacing their front steps. For intermediate review, um, Oh, this one has been a very, very long time coming. We are finally getting a new foundation on the barn at 1025 Woodlawn Avenue. It currently has a stone foundation, and it, the new foundation will be, just be smooth poured concrete. Um, this barn did have a wood floor suspended in it that was broken, and so it'll have a new floor in it. They will be actually moving the barn over. Goodwin House Movers will be doing that. Um, they basically will take the barn and move it back this way. They will remove the lean-to. The lean-to shows up on all of the Sanborn fire insurance maps, so we think that it is a very old lean-to as well. They're actually just going to remove it and reinstall it. Um, there's a possibility they might move it to the other end of the barn instead of this one, but uh, beyond that, this barn will get a new foundation, which it's needed for at least a decade. Uh, so the other project here is that because we could see shutters and Colonial Revival houses have them, they had new shutters made that will be installed as functioning shutters, which is uh, pretty exciting. Uh, 
All right. Um, item F, consideration minutes for September 14th. I think I overheard there was one. I had just noticed uh, on page nine mm -hmm. where it talks about, there's a paragraph, like towards the bottom, the first one it says, well, Lou Reynolds asked. And then the next one says, Beck noted. I think that was me who said that whole paragraph, not Beck. Okay. At least I remember saying all that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And then Deanna, you have Yeah, some? and then there are a couple of instances uh, where my name is attributed to things that I think Christina said. Could be. Yeah. Let's see where else. And I've got them noted. Um, I don't know if sending you, you an email would be the most effective. Um. Well, it might be worthwhile to actually so I know have what Christina look at what that. you have okay. noted to verify that. Yes, so I can tell you right now, page six, are you seeing the page numbers? Yes. Page six of 12. Yes. Okay. Um, it would be paragraph one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, starting with Thoman, would like to know where the yes. 125 feet number originated. That was me. That was me. Yep. Okay, and then also page eight of 12, this is in the second uh, full paragraph on that page. The second sentence, Thoman stated she doesn't feel like they're being frivolous or opening floodgates. Yes, that was me. Okay. So you can either just give me the paper you have or you can email it to me, I don't care. Okay, I'll give you the paper I have. Okay. We must sound the same or something. I don't know. <laughs> that was to each other. I thought, man, I looked through here and I was like, I was really active. Did I say all that? I'm usually pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's so you'll need to um, uh, move to approve them as amended. Okay. Uh, do do I have to call for a motion to do that? Yep. Okay. Uh, do you have a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. Thoman seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Uh, item G, commission discussion, starting with number 1302 and 316 East Bloomington Street, other known, otherwise known as Slezek or Slezek Hall, otherwise known as the Poly Ice Building. <laughs> uh, just so we're all aware, um, this is the building. It, it actually has all of the numbers between 302 to 316. 302 being the, the front portion. Um, this was a, um, a, a hall where people met on the upper floor, stores below. Um, the three-story apartment building was added. This area back here at one point in time was kind of the carriage house, but uh, a laundry and apartments above. This housed feed and was a stable. Uh, here's just a, a detail shot. Um, you know, we have brackets and dentals. We have windows that I, I frankly don't know. I haven't looked into it yet to know if they are originally this size with this trim or if they were reduced. Um, there would have been a storefront here, likely two entrances since it was divided in half down the middle. Um, on Lynn Street, you can see kind of the west elevation of that building, and there's this area. I have, again, not looked into this too much to really know if this was um, like a decorative 
element over a storefront or if there was some kind of a loading door in this general area, so I don't know. Um, this says, um, this is a, a, a whole of apartments, which would have been upstairs. Here's the apartment building again. This is just the brick end of that um, smaller addition in the back. Um, here's the 1888 Sanborn map that shows you. So we have uh, grocers on each side. I don't actually know what that one is. The stage was up on the second floor in the main hall. Um, there was a dining room parlor. The stairs, as you can see, they go in for the apartment, I believe. Um, here there was a carriage hoist on the first floor, laundry on the second, sleeping on the third, um, the feed area. Um, all of this, I believe, was in place. Uh, let's see. Yeah, everything was in place uh, no later than 1888. Um, we do have an Iowa site inventory form, which I attached to the uh, agenda. That is basically what um, historians and consultants use to fill out information to document it for the state. And all states have a similar form. It's kind of a prelude to a National Register form. And this building had been studied multiple times. That's why there's different um, input and different looking pages involved with that. And at one point in time, um, someone determined that the building would be eligible for the National Register. And it would be. It has a good integrity. It would be eligible definitely um, uh, under... Um, for the National Register Criterion A, which relates to events that have happened over time. Um, I cannot remember right now which of our criteria that relates to. Um, but it would be eligible for the National Register. Hence, it would be eligible for local landmark listing as well. Um, this was brought up because uh, Jordan, as the chair, requested that it would be uh, um, on the agenda, uh, discussing it, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, for a potential lo local landmark designation. That process uh, would proceed, it could potentially proceed with the commission determining that they want to um, locally landmark it so that the application for rezoning, which is what would happen, would be submitted on behalf of the commission. Then the review of that application for rezoning would come to the commission first. We would discuss the building more in its history and it would be a, a public hearing for everyone to speak. Then it would move on to the Planning and Zoning Commission and then finally it would move to City Council. And that is the, uh, the one case where if the owner were to object to the landmark rezoning, that's when um, a supermajority of city council would have to vote to approve it for it to become a local landmark. And I believe that's all I have. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so now, what in order in our meeting order? Where are we? Um, basically, if you want to open it up to public comment, then you can do that now. If Great. you wanted to speak about it first, um, you can say something and then do that. Whatever you'd like to do. I'll open it up to public comment. And is that you? That do you want to go, Thomas? Are you ready? Quite a few people want to talk, but I 
Okay, everyone you, you should please sign in. Yep, please sign in. Say your name. Oh, I do want to note also, this is something that I just forgot. Uh -huh. um, in 2015, um, a subcommittee of the commission did meet to kind of look at historic properties in the community that uh, are not currently either locally landmarked nor in uh, a district of any type mm -hmm. to see which ones should be landmarked. And this building was on that list. I believe there are about 21, maybe 25 properties. Mm -hmm something like that, um, just so you're aware. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Um, my name's Thomas Hager, and I used to be on the commission um, for, I think, like seven years mm -hmm. or some uh, yeah. frightening amount. Um, based on who else is here, I'm sure there might be other people who are gonna talk and will probably also talk more eloquently than me, so I'm gonna like take the fire and brimstone version um, because, uh, yeah. Bring it. Okay. So I just wanted to talk about this. Like a lot of people in the city that saw that this went up for sale and this like scandalous Zillow listing, um, it has me thinking about this and reflecting, thinking about this property, reflecting also on my time on the commission and experiences I had on the commission. And so I just wanted to kind of run through that experience and some of those things and how they went down um, for you guys as you prepare to look uh, in more depth of this property. Um, the main example I want to bring up is the landmarking that we uh, attempted for 410 Clinton Street, which is a brick building across from Dye House. Um, and uh, basically, that was a similar situation. Property owner didn't want to landmark it, uh, went advanced through because it obviously deserved to be a landmark. And then um, in the midst of all of that, the property owner sold to the Clark family. And so what happened uh, is that it went to the supermajority and uh, as led by Susan Mims, uh, and I think it was Pauline Taylor, but I can't remember who the yeah. second vote was. Ah, Maz, thanks. Um, it doesn't matter, I remember Susan leading that conversation. Um, it did not get the supermajority. And I want to read this little excerpt from a Press Citizen article at the time. Since that vote, the city's been in talks with the property owner asking what could persuade them to voluntarily pursue local landmark designation. Brian Clark said his goal is to pursue more units. He said the owners of two adjacent properties, 400 North Clinton Street and 112 East Davenport Street, have signaled a willingness to sell. Providing the city rezones those adjacent properties to allow higher density, Clark said he would be willing to designate 410 to 412 North Clinton as a local historic landmark in exchange. My summary of that is that developers do not need handouts. They do not need handouts. And the last ones is apartments downtown in the Clark family. And so what happens when a property like this comes up for sale is that a developer with deep pockets who's not afraid of, to play hardball with the city will buy the property, okay? And so what happens then is that there's this emotional hostage taking of the property where they twist the city's arm because you know people are worried about, oh, well, we don't want to step tread on individual property rights. It's the owner. They own the building. What happens is they take the property hostage and they try to get handouts. They try to get approvals for things that we would never otherwise order, ordinarily approve. Uh, there are other scenarios that also happen, and you might remember all of these. So across from the co-op, what happens? Undesignated buildings get torn down, and they encroach upon a historic property. So as you think about how this could be parceled up in some kind of deal, the remaining property that didn't sell across from the co-op ended up being so encroached upon by these inappropriate buildings for the scale of the neighborhood that they ended up later tearing that building down. Or 
the same family might say, you know what, we don't even want to have any of this conversation, like the Elks building, we're just going to tear it down right now, and then you've got a big hole in the ground right across from City Hall, which we've had for a while now. Or Ted Pesha, who on Christmas Eve, I think it was, bulldozed the antebellum uh, railroad cottages uh, over on South Dubuque Street. Those are the outcomes that are possible here, right? So, you know, people, I don't need to explain to you because you guys are on the commission, people uh, don't come back to Iowa City because they love the three over one uh, new builds that go up everywhere with the empty retail on the bottom. That's what will go in here if it's not landmarked, right? You know, or like the empty gravel lot on Van Buren Street that Michael Oliveira manages, you know, like there's all kinds of bad outcomes here. I think that there are different strategies for what you can do, and some are more extreme and some are less extreme. Maybe there's a development moratorium, you know, where there's a demolition permit moratorium in this area. Maybe instead of dealing with an individual landmark status, you could expand the district to include Bloomington Street. I don't know what's involved in that expansion. Um, or you could do what's actually the easiest thing, which is to landmark the property. And so I'm hopeful that you guys will do that. You'll, of course, need a supermajority, and you're going to get pushback from the property owner. But I want you to remember that the Scarda family or whoever owns this building, they chose to own this building. They own this building. They don't own the parking lot across the street. They don't own uh, the Head Start preschool next door, both places that would be great to be redeveloped, actually. And so it's not, it's not our fault that those are the properties they own. I really want to encourage you, I'll wrap up here, but I really want to encourage you that, like, and I know from my own time on the commission, you know, sometimes you skim the packet and then you read the staff recommendation, you know, and you, you make the motions and whatever. But in this instance, you're going to need a supermajority. Like, this property can be landmarked easy. There's so much, you know, if you can landmark the PS1 properties, which was a bit of a sham operation, then you can landmark this property. The thing is that you have to have that supermajority. And so I would really encourage you as a commission, I know it's just like a volunteer thing, but you guys need to like find out if you have the votes with city council, you know, and make sure that this thing is going to sail through. Otherwise, it's going to, the same thing that happened on 410 North Clinton is gonna happen. The last thing that I'll say is just that like developers own the buildings, they own the deeds to all these properties. People are waiting on their lottery ticket or whatever, or people are waiting to scavenge and get those lottery tickets who have the power to do it, to leverage it. But they just own the deeds, and they don't own the history of the community. And there's a structure created to allow us to protect that history, and it is landmark status, and it exists so that no matter who owns the building and what their inclinations are over time, because property owners come and go, the building can stay relevant to the community. So I really want you guys to have the chutzpah to landmark this building and landmark it fast, and then, which is what we did before, go through this whole study to find other properties, but we have to also landmark these. There's gonna be all this dialogue about, like, urgency, why now, why now when it came up for sale? Well, it's because, you know, 75% of the 19th century building stock in Iowa City is not protected. You know, all of downtown is not protected. We find the urgency when Iowa City realizes, wait, that building isn't protected when things like this happen. So I really hope that you landmark it. I hope that you really prioritize it and get 
the votes, which is what is really important. Jessica will do all the work for the uh, actual landmarking, right? That part is the easier part. It's a well-documented building. But if it doesn't happen, we all know what will happen to this building. So I really hope that you will stick with it. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Thomas. All right. Who's next? Jenilee? lower this considerably. <laughs> My name is Jenilee Swaim. And, um, you know, I look at this building and I think, oh, shoot, I've done laundry in that laundromat before I had a washing machine. I went to have pizza there when the dorms didn't serve meals on Sunday night. And um, I think I visited somebody who lived in the apartments. But there's a whole other set of memories in terms of this commercial building that date far, far back, you know, the uh, relations with the Czech neighborhood, um, the customers to the grocery stores, and the hall upstairs and the um, stable. And so I could get sort of emotionally connected to this building, but on greater um, self-examination, it's that's what history is about, is that people wrap their own lives into a building and come up with some meaning which the building then can preserve for the people or the community if it's protected. Um, obviously, this building has great integrity. It has incredible community history. And it is always anchored that corner. It's a keystone to that. Uh, between the downtown and the north side. And so I echo what Thomas has said. I was on the commission during many of those uh, issues, and things happen very fast. So um, I sincerely hope everything can turn out the way we would like it to and landmark it. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bob Micklow. I live at 900 North Johnson Street. And um, I would just like to point out that the, this hall clearly meets the criteria for the National Register as well as the local landmark. Its association with the Czech immigrant community demonstrates broad patterns of our uh, local history as well as our national history. It tells the story of our community uh, as being built by immigrants. <clears throat> its architecture is a good representation of a commercial storefront but it is also unique in that it contained, it contained an ethnic social hall and a historic hotel, later apartments, and a livery uh, uh, where horses were cared for and tended to. There are very few buildings, surviving buildings in Iowa City with this much history or, or, or character. I'd also like to point out that the comprehensive plan, including the central district plan, which was unanimously adopted by the city council, as a blueprint for our community's future calls for the protections of buildings like this and of the north side commercial district um, so the, the the city has already gone on record that this is an important building in the life of our community and could follow up with uh, zoning protections to enforce that uh, that policy 
again, there are few properties in Iowa City with this rich of history and that are this well preserved. So I would urge you to carry on your, your path. Thank you. Uh, Sharon DeGraw, and I'm with Friends of Historic Preservation. I live in the north side. Um, I agree with all the the history of the building, and it needs to be preserved for that reason, and its example of being a, a certain type of architecture that we want to value and preserve. But I also see the, the tie-in to the way that perhaps the business community and decision makers think is that this building is an economic boost to the commercial area and the residential houses. So if it, if it goes and things like it go, what we replace it with <clears throat> has much less economic value in terms of the way the downtown district wants to think about what do we need to do to create a vibrant downtown Iowa City. This is part of it. Um, so I would hope that we could en engage the downtown district in the discussion of how to landmark it locally also. Thanks, Sherry. Does anybody else uh, have anything that they'd like to say during commission discussion? If not, we can take it to the commission. Does anybody have any thoughts? I think you do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, the value of this building, um, the stories it tells, uh, the fact that it was important to farmers back in the day. They would come and stay in these hotels and they'd put their uh, horse and carriage or whatever else in the stable. Um, and I, I've, this is what I've noticed. I live just a few blocks away from this building. Um, if I'm going to see my farming relatives in town, it's at Poly Ice. I run into them all the time. Um, People are drawn to not only poly eyes, but I feel this building, it's very comfortable for them. You may not see, I know I don't see my relatives in downtown proper, but people will come into this building and eat and enjoy themselves. It's important in that way. It's not just important to the city, but to the surrounding areas too. Um, and I'm, I'm really concerned about this part of town. Um, the houses around here, uh, they're, they're being run down, and I think it's happening intentionally. Um, I've also heard a little bit of gossip. It sounds like a developer has bought two houses within this block, and I'm sure they're eyeing this building now. They've got these two houses they bought. It would be easy, buy this building, clear out this whole block, build tall, and the city council might just go for this because they are on a mission now. And I understand they want density in housing. They want, they are on kind of a development path right now. Um, so I don't know, is it possible for us to do the landmark status vote tonight? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> uh, it is my concern that things will move so quickly that there will be a buyer at this, what is it, $5 million. It's maybe the person who bought the two houses or the, the company that did, and it'll start rolling. Um, like Thomas said, it'll just start rolling without our action, um, without us being even able to say. 
I don't know, maybe things don't work that quickly, but it concerns me. Jessica, do you mind just reviewing again the, like the, the recent history, it's up for sale? It has been owned by the same family for how many years? Like 150 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is for sale. And, and are they, we don't know, are, are, do they have local family members? Do we know? Are they aware of who would buy a building, anything like that? I don't, we don't think know. we know or would care. Okay. It sounds like the owner's in poor health. Um, uh, okay. I think that um, we should just set aside any consideration of ownership and consider this a community building that needs to be landmarked as soon as possible. Well, the I, reason, I'm not worried about who owns it. I just want to know, like, okay, does it, if it's up for sale, like, right now, that weighs on our timeline for... Could happen tomorrow. So that's why I want to know that. I don't care who owns it. It is more like the timeline, um, and if something gets out to potential buyers, that that's what the... Historical Society, that also plays in favor of getting this designated quicker. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think so. I'm not sure. You, could you clarify one yes, more time? Yes, just basically, I don't, I don't need a name of who owns it. What I'm trying to say is if we as a commission, it becomes public knowledge that that's what we're talking about tonight to make this a, a landmark, uh -huh. and it's up for sale right now, that can that fact of being labeled a landmark may have an effect on who purchases the property. That's what I'm saying. Currently, I and, and know. I, do you take into consideration it's currently um, the, listed at $5 million, which is over $3 million more than its assessed value? Okay. Than its assessed value. Is that, I mean, I think I it's assessed at eight, $1.8 or something like that. Yes. So um, that leaves kind of few buyer options, I yes. think. I don't, it's hard to know why that would be the case. But and what a buyer would have in mind then. If they would probably want to make some money back. Yes. Um, I also do want to say with, oh, please. Hi, I don't want to speak out of turn. I came late. I actually am late because I'm on the Johnson County Historic Preservation Commission and we were having our meeting. Um, but I also am someone who lives in um, my name is Anne-Marie Taylor. Um, Thank you. And um, I live in a house that Iowa City very creatively saved. It had been, it, it's an old house on Burlington Street, and it was part of the university program that renovated houses in Snow. It's a single-family home. Um, and I'm really concerned about what's um, going to happen. I'm sure you've all seen the ad that said, um, this is not on historic preservation protection. You can basically do what you want. And that land at $5 million, could only, you could only make money off of it if you knock everything down, everything around that. And so whatever can be done to protect the community, I live not that far, um, and to protect this high, Iowa City's history like this. And also, you know, we were talking about the city wanting more and more. The housing that would go in there would not be the housing Iowa City's looking for. It would be high dollar um, with, you know, some stores down, probably a subway, some things like that at the bottom. But the housing going into the core of Iowa City right now is not affordable. It is 
very high, expensive. It doesn't benefit the people there. It kicks the people who are renting out further and further. Um, and again, thank you. I, I got here right as you were stop, stopping um, conversations, but I just wanted to let you know that um, those of us who are concerned with the county are also, we discussed it. You know, I'm not representing the board, but um, it's a treasure. So anything you all can do would be appreciated. Thank you so much. I don't know. Um, in terms of meeting, how the meeting goes, is it bounce? At this point, can we have more public discussion or? You know, this is just a commission discussion item. So okay. I think that if, you know, if people want to say things that we're not, it's okay. not that formal. Great. Um, I want to make a point with regard to housing density, which is that there is a new development going up on Scott Boulevard and North Dubuque. It's a four acre lot. There is a total of 15 townhomes going in, it could be, there could be, you know, there could be 200. Um, I don't think housing density is necessarily the top, you know, incentive. So I, I just don't, I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody in town to be swayed by that argument because I don't think it's relevant when you're up against a, a 148 year old treasure. So. So what is the timeline for the process to make it a landmark? So, um, frankly, the owner will be contacted, and staff will meet with the owner. After this meeting? At Tonight. Before. <laughs> <laughs> before. Um, an application will be submitted and for rezoning, and then it would be processed, and then it would come to you. Okay, so there's a possibility it'll be on the November agenda? If that's what I'm hearing, <laughs> then, um, I mean, we can make it every effort to do that, but it will all just kind of depend on our staff time and ability to, um, yeah. I'd even do a special meeting, just throwing it out. I would too, yeah. I, well, if, if I may interject, mm -hmm. uh, maybe even put the, pump the brakes on this, um, just clarifying, so if we do make this a landmark status designation, does that lock it into how it looks like this forever? And any little thing that the future owner wants to do comes to us as an exception. And you know, we have to be considerate of so many things. And yes, there's so much human history here in this building and it's wonderful. Uh, I don't know about the laundry building. I say maybe knock it down right now, but you know, that's just me. And, and I think I'm curious what happens if we do make it that and I think it's, the question is what happens if we don't landmark it, which is that there's probably a 90% chance it comes down. I mean, that's, that's what you're up against. It's not a matter of what a convenience or, uh, you know, it's you've truly you either protected or you lose it. That's where we're at. And that's what the city's shown us. I think the question is, does this building deserve landmark status? And that's the question we have today. But I think the other question is, is it, is it, it an emergency? And I think the answer is yes, it is. It's an, I, I, would, I would think so. I, I agree, and thank you for that, Christina. You know, that's, that's really kind of the question. Yeah. And it is an urgent, it is an urgent too, issue. I, yeah. I, I totally, like, I agree. Like, that is something, you know, it's a responsibility to designate that. But I do think, like, when we designate something, it is, what is it today? And should it be designated based on that criteria? And unfortunately... We're in a time crunch. And so that decision is before us within the next month-ish or something. And so 
if it were to be landmarked, they would have to follow the guidelines like everyone else. So yes, we would want to retain historic materials on the building. Modern materials that maybe don't fit the building could be changed. They could make an addition or something if it could be approved by the commission, just like any other property. Mm -hmm. um, there wouldn't be a desire to keep something that would be considered non-historic just because it happens to be there right now. Um, you know, th so it could go through the guidelines and, and follow the guidelines like any other property. The building definitely has the integrity to um, be landmarked as well as be listed in the National Register. And the integrity means does it have its original materials and, you know, does it have its original architecture and, and generally yes. And then the other thing we evaluate is, is it its significance and this building definitely is significant. It is a, a, as a part of our social history. And so um, for those reasons, it would definitely be eligible. And that part of the landmark process is the easy part. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know it, it, it's more um, going through the other steps that are the, the longer and more difficult part. Right. Um, and I didn't pay that close attention to the mill whole thing, but this kind of feels like the mill a little bit. Yes. Uh, but, but there's more of an architectural integrity oh, issue. Oh, I, I agree. I the agree, issue with the mill was that the mill itself did not have integrity for what it, it was historically. As the business, we can't landmark the business. That's not what our, our rezoning and our guidelines but do. But aren't we starting to consider newer time periods as now historical? Yes. Right. I mean, basically, from our point of view, it needs to be 50 years old to be sort of eligible, as well as all of fit. the things. But. It just didn't fit the bill. Uh, no. And it was too expensive. But there again, it, it was a, a comfortable spot. This is a comfortable spot. I feel like it draws people. It has the historic integrity that, yeah. With this process, is this, I think I know the answer to this question already, but is this just a race at this point? Or is it like, do we, if we start doing stuff, does that slow down the selling process? I w again, I would doubt it, but I was, is that a thing? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is a process and honestly, it's probably more of a political process than anything else. Um, there is a point when the city council uh, sets a public hearing where there's a moratorium on demolition, specifically. Um, so if, hmm. if there were an application to demolish the building, what would happen? If there were an application to demolish the building, like tomorrow, they would have to post that application for seven days and then they could take the building okay. down. Would there be able to be uh, an imaginary <laughs> hearing to landmark it in, during that time? <laughs> I mean, I, I like no. Uh, up, so we really are. I mean, this is truly an emergency. Yeah, the commission will start with a, a public hearing, and that has to be published seven days before the public hearing. Uh -huh. And so, there's there's no way that like next week we will suddenly have a public hearing just because we have to actually get ready for it before we publish it. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, it can be sort of an emergency, but there is a process that has to be followed. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think if, 
if we do get to the point where we're able to um, recommend this for being a landmark status property, I would hope that if you guys feel passionately about this, go to the other meetings after this. Go to PNZ, go to city council, tell them that you see the historic value in this. Um, we need to be present with things like this. Um, There's a lot of public interest in this topic. I'm frankly surprised more of them aren't here. I know. Um, but I really do appreciate the those who did come. Um, and yeah, I think all of us just need to do the work. So generally, am I hearing that you guys want to move forward? Yes. Yes, yes. please. With oh. alacrity. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's probably openness to a, a special meeting if that's possible. If you can, if you do call him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, I'm surprised the the owner isn't here. Gary Scarta. Gary Scarta. I, I believe uh, the owner has a he he has a disability that yes. pre, that yeah that immobilizes him a bit. So that might be part of the reason. But we we provided notice through the realtor that this w meeting would be occurring. Mm -hmm. And I I had give so much credit to that family. I mean, um, of course. I've never lived in this building. I don't know, I haven't seen the upstairs, but just going to Poly Eye, seeing the exterior of it, they've done a wonderful job. Um, Sherry, didn't you live, you didn't? Can you tell us about it? Um, I can say it's in very nice condition. Uh, there's <laughs> wood floors on the second level. I lived on the Lynn Street side, um, and the family actually lived, so the Scarda family lived on the ground floor. Hmm. Um, it, it was very nice. They put carpet on the second floor to sort of, or actually on the third floor to make it Keep quieter. Yeah. Um, so there's probably nice wood floors there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great. And there's radiator heat. It was mm. very charming. Um, the other thing I thought of asking is. Speak it all into the microphone a little oh, bit. When you talk to Gary Scarda, um, would he have any documentation of what the hotel was like back in the day? Did they retain that in the family? Um, would he allow us to photocopy it and give it back? And I love that this is apartments um, and not like some of the newer spaces in town, which maybe are not affordable even. Yeah, they're not affordable and some of them are just Airbnb spaces. Um, this building has heart. Um, People who live in the community live in this building. Jessica, do you have the map of this district or the districts? I'm just curious. How close you know, it is to a festival. Why, yeah, this. It's one street down, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this area is not included in any of the districts because the districts nearby are residential districts and this is a commercial area. And so when you're creating a district, you do stick to basically a type. A district has a story, it's a cohesive unit. And so um, that's why um, it's not included. But You're Bob might want to add to that. If, if, I, if I may, I was on staff a number of years ago and we considered a national register district for the north side, including the commercial area. And it was found to be uh, eligible for the national register, but there was a considerable property owner objection and as a result, the commercial area was removed from the proposed historic district. 
So just because one property owner objects? Or, or multiple. Multiple. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's also an alternate precedent for that. Like my first experience in Iowa City of a city council meeting was at the hearing for the Jefferson Street District, which they also had considerable opposition to, but it sailed through just fine. So again, like opposition. What can you attribute that to? Who bought the properties on the street and the sense of urgency okay. behind it? That's, okay, that's my recollection. So if we can freak city council out a little bit. Well, I just think I just think that uh, opposition is fine. Yeah, people can be opposed right, to landmarking stuff, and that is just fine. But I do think that one this uh, reminds me the the potential for possible development on the lot in addition, like with everything intact, is that something that should be, you know, like, because if, if, if the owner wants to make as much money as it's listed for, um, that might be a factor, you know, so there might be some information he needs that would kind of like ease concerns that it could be, that it would still be valuable to the price point he's looking at. I guess to me, it, that starts to sound again, like handouts, and we don't have to hand out anything. Well, and so hang on. And so, you know, like when you look at the property, like there are, there are like five undeveloped parking lots and multiple single story buildings in the North side business district. Like we don't have to make space on this lot mm -hmm. for development. We don't have to make space on this lot for density. And it's something I would look at when you like gauge the urgency of this too mm -hmm. is, like, what is this? I don't know what the zoning overlay is for this building currently, if it is CB2 or whatever. The price to me, given like the university metrics that they're predicting for student housing, all the other housing coming online, I, do, I think that this is urgent and should be treated as urgent. But I don't know how urgent it really is. I just don't know because I don't know what the ability to capitalize on that land is mm -hmm. based on how it's currently zoned. But the leverage can happen, you know, so I think that somebody, Jordan or somebody else, should talk to the city manager mm -hmm. and ask what is possible there and how that property can be, how the city staff envisions that property being and the demolition of it being leveraged. Because I don't understand economically how you could buy it for five million and tear it down if it is like, if the height regulation is as low as it is there, unless they get, oh, hand, unless they get handouts. Uh -huh. So there, it might just be a number that is extraordinary because why not? Mm -hmm. Or it might be a number <clears throat> where people have an understanding. There's been you know enough consultants have been brought in to understand what the value of that is, and I just don't know. So I would also talk while like you make the motions for a special meeting to to initiate the landmark status. I think that you could also talk to city staff outside of this commission and try to understand how, how they gauge the timeline and the price and whatever. I think that, and, and the current zoning and opportunities for zoning changes that might be leveraged against the property. Mm -hmm. It might be a, a step that you could take that would feel like you're doing something right away while you wait for the due process of the landmark status. So just my two cents on that. And I would actually like to speak to, the, to what you were talking about this property has been in this configuration since 1888. Mm -hmm. Staff would not recommend building another building in the middle of that em empty parking lot. Right. That would not. That would not be something that would follow our guidelines. Sure. Yeah. 
if I may again. In terms of urgency, yes, I would encourage you to pursue this as quickly as possible. But because there is a lease for the pizza place, it's not going to be torn down tomorrow. That's so you fair. do have some time. It, <clears throat> I would caution against doing a special meeting. I would follow the normal procedure mm. to the extent possible. Um, so that it doesn't look like you're rushing or cutting corners, that you are following the procedure and you legitimately designate the building as a landmark. Okay. I also think that if you were to talk to the, the commissioners who were here when the Jefferson Street District happened and when the Goose Town District happened, you'd find out that those commissioners were also getting public support. Mm -hmm. A lot of work. I think it's important to note too that a lot of the homes, the few that are there, are RNS 12. I think I talked with you guys a little bit about this at the last meeting. Um, those those houses don't have any sort of special protection either. Um, so this is a this is a hotbed. Like if if this if they want to do development, it's going to happen in this north side. I don't know if I explained that very well. I think either way, right? I mean, how much can we just say, oh, someone might buy this and someone might do this? We, it meets the qualifications yeah, for the things right. we're talking we about. This is just what we want to do. And that's, there's, what's, why now? Because it's happening now. I don't know. Yeah, like, exactly. what do you want me to do? It's wait, a cool, oh, fine, we'll wait a week. Like, I don't, I, it's yeah. a cool building. No yeah, it could have happened two years ago. It's happening now. I don't well, know what to tell you. It's a cool building. Jessica will talk to the owner. Maybe, you know, maybe he will be interested. And then we'll, and then uh, after that, then it's public support, public support, public support, and pressure, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and also keep in mind there's a um, city council primary, and the council will be changing over in January, I believe. So, you know, keep in mind that it's not just the city uh, council members, it's also, you know, candidates and. Good point. So you uh, so every we should be talking to everybody, making sure that this is on their radar and that it's something that they would vote for, and we, that's how they get votes. Yep. Can I add something? Yes, please. <laughs> the endless discussion. <laughs> it's only six thirty. Okay. <laughs> so I worked on the Jefferson Street District, and there were I don't know if there were any residential homes were, that were owner-occupied. Um, so it was uh, a matter of talking to the people who lived around Jefferson Street, as well as those who had businesses or churches there or whatever. So, um, and so sort of door-to-door -door knocking. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was gratifying was that at the city council meeting, um, we had, uh, this was standing room only, and there were people out in the hallway. And I'll tell you, the city council listens or sees when people speak up. Yeah. They really, really do. And we talk about, oh, send something in, send a letter, send an email. That's great, but when they're standing in the hall <laughs> or the, the, uh, this room, Waiting for this council's decision, yeah, uh, it holds a lot of impact. So, um, and it takes it takes work to get people into a building for a meeting. It of does, this, you know. So, I just want to um, add my two cents to really getting people on board for this. And you can't offer snacks, I, from what I understand. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I also think it's not just the people who live in the neighborhood. It's anybody who's eaten at Poly Eyes. It's, it's the entire who football went to community and lived in an apartment building. Um, well, the whole West Side comes to Poly Eyes to get to satisfy their nostalgic, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just think that that needs to get to get out. Yeah, and you know, some things just make sense. I don't. You know, like when we say get ready, you know, for a fight or whatever it is, I think that sometimes I'm like, I don't plan on fighting. I just plan on making a case mm -hmm. and making sense, following the criteria, the protocols, like you have said, and, and moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think whatever I can do to make that happen when it makes sense is what we do as a commission. I agree. Well, I and we should almost make sure you're not letting this happen in the future repeatedly. I know. You know, that, you know, I know there's been reviews of properties and there's been a lot of hard work that's been into that, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of shocking that something like this, the Polyize building is, you know, facing all this urgency, you know. Hi, Anne-Marie Taylor. What's, again, I wanted to share one other piece of experience. I, before living in Iowa City, I was um, in the legislative um, and what government relations with for the American Institute of Architects, and I worked with the national um, organizations do, doing doing uh, things to to try and protect properties. Um, and one of the things is we're talking about speed and the need to have some speed, is that the um, pizza place lease is seven years, and um, that's not very long for someone who's looking at a long-term investment. Uh, one of the, the things that, that we did spend a lot of time working on in, in some of the state legislators' lectures is um, being sure that an area didn't become, uh, that, that a building didn't sort of fall out of its historic location and everything because everything around it has been knocked down, removed. I mean, once a house is knocked down, it's down. If this building, and, and I, I know, can think of many things around the country, once it's down, it's kind of done. I mean, the person who owns it has, and so I, I think not intemperate speed, but, but definite speed is necessary to protect it before someone over, uh, and I, another example I have is um, working in Seattle, uh, a, a particularly old historic building that was about to get protection on Monday was knocked down over the weekend. Oh, um, and, and so just that is when you're looking at someone who's looking at, I mean, we're talking $5 million, we're talking, and someone's going to pay that, and they're going to do that only if they can make the money with tall buildings, with all sorts of things. So the sooner you can protect this building and, and not just because it's a pizza place, because if you look back to when it was built in 1878 by the, I believe, Slavic family, I mean, it, the history of this building in its place and the area mm -hmm. is remarkable and um, needs to be protected. There's not another place like this in Iowa City. And, and, and so once again, I'm just throwing a little bit more of, of my, my experience that um, you can't just assume it's one property or one thing, that there's a broader plan and seven years goes by like that mm -hmm. for builders. Thank you. Thank you. Jessica, I do appreciate you bringing up this 1888 map. It's awesome because I did want 
you to bring it up just so I could look at it again. Uh, I was noticing the feed building. Is that the that's the pitch? One. The, is that the roof pitch on the map? What are those triangles there? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the. I, I'm just curious about the fact that it has the the X in it is. I, Frank, I, yeah, do you know I, what that is there? I don't remember. The dotted lines. The dotted, right. So. No, the dotted lines are going to be, usually they are divisions inside the building. Hmm. So. Stalls. No matter what, these, the, all of these, these are not like hip roofs or something. This is, it, it does not have anything to do with the roof. It has, it's something else. Okay. So when did that current roof, and pardon me for not knowing the style, when was that added above the laundromat especially? I'm, I'm assuming it's no, the original. original. That's original. Yeah, so that's, it should be a non-negotiable too. I think I was originally I don't like of the that roof. That, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I. It matches the poly eyes. Yeah. I think a that little the, bit, we want to, we want to. Want to landmark the entire property? Just a comment about the roof. Well, you have I, to. Yeah. I think this would need more research, but the roof um, of both this this roof line and the curved roof line is reminiscent of the Baroque roof lines you see in Prague. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering yeah. if the Slezak family carried that architecture style with them. That's I an could awesome be totally point, off yeah. base, but it, you don't see this kind of roof elsewhere in Iowa. Certainly not in Iowa City. There's nothing else. More well, I always feel like you call that Italianette or whatever, Italianate, Italian but then are, that top, yeah. the top roof part is definitely Baroque. You'll learn to love it. Often well, buildings no, are a mixture Look at the other, the laundromat one. It, it's different. It's more rectilinear. It looks more modern. There's hay up top. It reminded me of the addition on that house we just looked at. The roof yeah. on the it reminded me of that the new addition on the, that 80, 1984 addition on the house back there. But, but the whole property is awesome. Yes. It's so beautiful. And I know that the family, the Scarda family, is terribly proud of it. Yes. I know Gary, who owns it now, has a health situation, like was said. Um, when I rented the apartment that I lived in there, Val Scarta talked up how unique and significant, I think in the basement he was describing like six beams coming together at an intersection where, you know, usually it would just be a traditional intersection. And he said that was very unique to the Czech architecture. Um, talked it up like I had to go see this, but you know, this pride in the building was really there. Um, and I, that's a neat detail that someone should look at. Yeah, I think the next step is to talk with the landowner. Maybe, yeah, there might be something there where they decide, yes, they do want the landmark status. You know, if they've had it in the family for all these years and have taken such care of it. Yeah. So I guess at this point, what are, it seems like we're down, you know? So like, yeah, what I, do we... <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard plenty, so... Um, as far as I'm concerned, once everybody is done commenting, we can move on. Yep. I'm done. Yeah. I'm also done. Um, and I believe that now we are going to talk about the uh, Historic Preservation Awards. Yeah, and, and just a, a quick thing. I want to thank everybody for your help. I think it went off great. Uh, we had a really successful awards, and thank you to friends in the county. Um, we will have to revise how we do things in the future if we want to continue having an awards, however. 
just so you're aware. Why? Um, even with the assistance, it took so much of my time that I could not review projects for like a month. Oh, okay. Wow. And so we, you know, there are certain parts of it where I'm the only person who has the photos or whatever. So there are some things that I have to be the person to do it. But at the same time, we are going to maybe have to work with friends a little bit more to have mm -hmm. them help more. Um, it, it won't... As far as I, what I'm hearing from people who control me, <laughs> um, we won't be able to do it if it takes this much time in the future, okay. even next year. We'll do better. Do you have a student assistant, Jessica, or is that position no longer? We, we have an intern. Um, I will say that the assistance that the intern provides totally depends on the individual intern. Yeah and their abilities. We've had some that help great and some that don't. Before I came, the intern did the entire awards that year uh, with the help of friends, basically. So it kind of depends, uh, but we can't rely on that just because of the fact that that might be an intern who can't help yeah. much or, or whatever. So, so we'll, we'll have to work through that, but we do have to kind of figure out how to change the process. I will say one thing is please come up with nominations throughout the year. Yeah. Please don't text me just some random address that they're painting. Get the address, say what it is, send it in an email, <laughs> you know, documented in a way that makes it easy for me personally. Okay. But yeah, um, sorry, getting Jessica. nominations throughout the year is <coughs> probably one of the ways that you can help. And Starting last week, anything that wasn't on the list? Yeah, I, I have a list started already. Okay. Is that a public, uh, can you make it a shared doc or is that no, we can't, violation or um, something? Yeah, we can't do shared docs okay. at the city, sorry. And all the eventual award winners should come across our desk, correct? No, no, uh, no. we no. would like to spread the, the love right, throughout right, right. the community. So if you have a historic property, no matter where it is, and you do appropriate work, that's one thing. I will look at them to see that they are appropriate work. We, we don't necessarily like to award things that are inappropriate because we are publicizing that and so if we want people to recognize the appropriate work and and follow those models but but yeah it, it doesn't matter where it is in the community if it's 50 years old or older and they've done work and it's appropriate we can award them great so but yes it was very successful and congratulations and i think everybody loved having it at the highlander uh -huh. yep we were spoiled great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so now we're spoiled. <laughs> uh, maybe Poly we'll have you at Polyos next year, exactly. Um, all right, do I have a motion to adjourn? Wagner oh. moves to adjourn. Bowman seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right, great. Thanks, everybody.